Being a professional isn't about the money you make, the position you hold, your level of expertise or fame. It's the motivation and the attitude you bring to your work. A desire for always learning and improving and balancing your creative output with getting the business done. Welcome and join the Creating Pros. Hi and welcome back to Creating Pros. I'm your host Jim Nettles and this week I'm going to talk about something that is kind of really a difficult space to navigate. We're going to be talking about review culture. Now, yeah, especially if you're a writer, but even in many other spaces, we live and die by reviews. You know, historically, if I want to buy a book, if I want to go try a new restaurant, if I want to check out a product, you know, we live and die by experience. And often what we ask for is, what are the experiences of others? How do they receive something? Did it work for them? Did it not? And one of those things that we've seen grow is, you know, back when I was a kid, even not that many years ago, it was all about feedback. It was about organic growth. It was about the people saying, yep, this works for me. No, that doesn't. Well, with the advent of social media, with the advent of technology, now everywhere we look, we live and die by feedback. We live and die by reviews. It is by taking trust from people we know and people we don't. It's looking at what a celebrities have to say. It's looking at blind reviews that are left online. I mean, think about Amazon. Think about Yelp. Think about all these different platforms where we go and look. You know, especially things like Goodreads, if you're a writer, where there's all these platforms that you can go and look and get feedback and see what other people think. The problem is often all we do is we see the number of stars. We don't really dive into it. And so we often will allow these things to affect our behavior. And the problem is all of these things can be very manipulated very easily and done so artificially. And the question is, what do we do? Can we really trust these things? And how do we use them to our benefit? And also, how do we use them? In a realistic manner, because again, when we look at reviews, they're really getting harder and harder to trust. There's been a lot of statistical analysis. Um, depending on what it is, either there's a bias towards toxic positivity or very toxic negativity. And these kinds of reviews can either build up something that isn't really ready for prime time, or it may destroy something before it even reaches the market. So the first thing I want to dive into is this idea of toxic positivity. You know, generally as people um, and, and historic or hysterically and historically, one of the things that we often see is the old adage that people will tell you about a negative experience, something they didn't like. If something happens, they will tell 5, 10, 15, 20 people about a negative experience when they may only tell one person about something they really enjoyed or liked. Well, there's a lot of reason for this. That's kind of baked into how we operate as people, as a culture, as a society, is that often we focus on the negative because that's a survival instinct. If something didn't work for us or something wasn't good for us, we'll tell others as a warning. And sometimes that's done because it, it carries a very strong cultural need. Um, sometimes it's done that way because, again, we're just mad about something and we're going to tell everybody that we're unhappy about it. You know, when we look at social media, we can definitely boost that by magnitudes. 
right? One bad experience, you can hop on Twitter, you can hop on Facebook. You post the fact that something bad happened to you at a restaurant. You didn't like a book. You didn't like a product. Well, now instead of telling five or 10 or 20 friends, now you're telling literally potentially everyone. And because social media tends to favor negative material, it means that message can grow quickly. This is why we see a lot of companies doing a lot of work to manage social media presence and to manage customers online because people have taken to these different platforms to go out there and to complain because they found it to be one of the more effective ways of doing it. Well, on the opposite end of that is this idea of toxic positivity. One of the things that we see a lot of happening is that in, um, I know a lot of book reviewers, they'll say, if I can't give something a four or five star, I won't do the review for it. Same thing on other products and product reviewers is that they're going to go out there and there tends to be this bias towards, oh no, I loved this. So I want to keep it going. This is often one of those things we see with true fans. We, this is one of those things we see and we want to encourage as creators. It's one of those things we want to encourage as business owners to say, yes, you can trust what we do. You can trust to like the things that we do and create. Because again, we like to see those things that tell us something is safe, something is positive, something has value. And the problem with that is that if it's not real, if we're not getting true and good and solid feedback, then that toxic positivity means that we also don't tell those people that it won't benefit or won't enjoy it, that it may or may not be for them. Because again, a lot of the things that we do are very subjective. Not every book is for every person. Not every piece of art is for everyone. Not every film is for everyone. And if it were, then it would be for no one. We build things for specific kinds of fans, specific kinds of consumers. And when we do this, we have to make sure that the reviews that are being left or the reviews we're looking at to evaluate something reflect the information we're looking for. They reflect our needs, our wants, our desires, and our personal tastes. Hmm. So what do we do when we're looking at this problem of toxic positivity? Well, it's one of those things of, again, we have to dive into the devil in the details. And while, yes, it can benefit us to see nothing but four and five reviews, five-star reviews, honestly, part of the thing is this. We don't believe them. And statistically, we now know that toxic positivity in reviews is a thing. Um, if you're not seeing at least some, some number and some reasonable spread across the reviews, then likely people aren't going to believe it. If you can see one or two negative reviews about a product or something, when you then look at it, you can tell what the problem is. Because no matter what, Anywhere in the world, you can look at reviews, and sometimes they're great reading to look at. You know, think about um, some of the places you've been. Um, you know, having just gotten back from Europe, the trip to Europe, we actually were looking at reviews of some of the places and some of the things we wanted to do. And often what we see in negative reviews are people that had unrealistic expectations or didn't understand what they were getting into. And this is often where the negative reviews come in, but it's also can be one of those things. It's a benefit to people by saying this is or is not for you because of someone else's experience. 
But again, when we look at toxic positivity, people may say, oh yeah, I love it. Best thing in the world. Best thing ever. But is it? Is it really? Um, is it something that brings me benefit or you benefit? So toxic positivity really can skew stuff towards the positive, which then means someone who may buy a product or experience a trip or get into a restaurant may discover it wasn't for them, which then creates a negative experience for that person. So being realistic in, in the reviews we leave is helpful both to tell people that may benefit from it, may enjoy it, may want it, but also helps tell those people that would not benefit from it or may not enjoy it, may not want it, exactly what they're getting into. And the toxic positivity piece can actually create a negative experience for a lot of people. Now, the second side of this is the toxic negative reviews. And this is becoming a bigger and bigger problem we see in the marketplace. And one of the biggest ways it's being used is weaponized. There are a lot of authors that have experienced stuff recently where a book that's not even been released yet is being hammered on Amazon, being hammered on Goodreads, you know, tons of one-star reviews, tons of, of negative notes. And this is from people that cannot possibly have looked at the product. They can't possibly have read the book. They can't possibly know anything about it, but yet sometimes this negative feedback creates a loop that can destroy a product, a launch, before it even walks out the door. A lot of the time we see people that inherently go and target material because they may not like the material. They may not approve of what the material is, or maybe they just don't even approve of the author. They don't approve of the creator. They don't approve of the product. So they're using their own biases to target someone instead of letting it get to the marketplace. This too is a huge problem because again, it's weaponizing something and destroying people very uh, in a very tangential way. If you've got someone who's been working on a book, a movie for years, and they're releasing something, they're bringing it out, then all of a sudden, because someone has seen a description, someone has seen something about the author they don't like, I mean, it is now very much a sport to go out and destroy authors, books, products, and use negative reviews to do it. So again, much like the toxic positivity, we also see the toxic negativity on the other end of this, where it is fake, it's false, it's literal weaponization just to destroy something, even if it hasn't yet been released. And when we look at things like BookTok, when we look at a lot of different platforms, the ability to leave and create feedback and create reviews the ways to reach people are growing exponentially. The ways to help manage that, that presence are growing exponentially. And so how do we deal with this? How do we look at it? How do we manage it? Well, one of the biggest challenges that we've got is, is this. And when we look at or talk about products, books, things like that, and I'm going to focus on books for the next few minutes because, again, it's one of those things that affects a lot of you guys out there, both as readers, writers, creators, publishers, is this idea that we look at the reviews. We, we, we need reviews because without them, um, 
nobody ever, ever sees anything because again, generally the algorithms around products favor those things that have five stars four stars. If you have a product that actually gets to a certain number of reviews and feedback in a certain level, you almost can't pull it off the market. You almost can't touch it because again, once it hits a certain number of stars, anytime somebody's even looking in that neighborhood of a, of a kind of product, that's going to be the first thing they see. So good, a good solid review base can mean the life or death for a product, for a creator, for an artist. Well, in other spaces where you really aren't looking necessarily at so many reviews, but the few reviews you have are critical. One of the biggest challenges we see is something called hysteresis, which is the concept where something can continue to affect a product, a market, a business, long after whatever the reason for the feedback occurred. And so in terms of positivity, maybe when a place opened up, it was extremely popular. The food was great. The, you know, it was just massively popular. And everybody that came in loved the place. Well, then three months later, that chef left or the service crashed or something happens. Well, that massively positive number of reviews can still be drawing people in long after they, they're delivering that level of service. Same time as this. Um, if you get tanked with negative reviews, especially these fake negative reviews, um, you're never going to get out of that hole because it takes so much to lift the weight of one negative review to get your lift back up that... For example, let's see, a lot of the time we'll see something in there like somebody will make a comment about editing. There is no book product out there that is perfect. Um, well, often if somebody finds a single typo, they may leave something about, oh, yeah, there was the editing sucked or a typo. Or maybe they'll leave a negative review about the content because they didn't read the description. They didn't understand what they were buying, they bought it, they didn't like it, it wasn't for them, so they'll destroy it. Or sometimes they just may not like the cover and they may never have even bought the product. And if they do this, they'll start leaving the, those one stars. Well, if you get enough one and two star reviews, that's gonna be something that that product will never recover from. You're gonna have to pull that down um, and maybe look to relaunch it later. So knowing that there's these influences and knowing that the idea of reviews can be weaponized, we have to be aware of this. And it can be weaponized both for positive and negative. So how do we use this to our benefit? Well, if I'm looking at a product, if I'm looking at a book, if I'm looking at a restaurant, I'm looking at a trip. I do start by looking at what the spread is on reviews, you know, because I do want to see that it looks realistic. You know, you're never going to make everybody happy with anything. And honestly, I tend to start by looking at the negative reviews to see what people are complaining about. Is it reasonable? Does it apply to me? Is it because someone had unreasonable expectations? Does it look real? Then I'll also look at the really positive reviews. And I'll take a look for the exact same things. Does it feel real? 
does it seem to be relevant to me? Does it seem to have to really be even reflect the product? Because we'll see people do things like put an L. For example, with translations on books, a lot of the time we'll see um, people leave a review on a book and say, hey, the translation of this really sucked. But if you call me, I'll do the translation for you. This tells you it's not a real review. It's somebody trying to sell their services. And this is a very common thing we see in the publishing industry is that people try to basically leverage themselves onto others' products. And when we see that, often the first thing we can do is say, yep, that is someone I'll never use. That's someone I'll never do business with. And that's someone that gets ignored. Now, as a creator, as somebody that brings market products to market, as a writer, um, when we look at these sorts of things, what do I want to do? Well, when I want to cultivate reviews, I want to cultivate a base of real reviews. Both people that are happy with what I do and those that say, yeah, this wasn't for me. Um, and the ways of doing that are how you get stuff out to readers. You get to your beta readers. You get feedback. You get stuff out in people's hands. Now, don't want a lot of negative reviews? No. Um, but I did write the first time I got a one-star review. Um, I wrote a thank you post to that person. The reason being their entire feedback was, I don't get it. Which I, which I was kind of amused at. And B, it told me they weren't my audience. But it wasn't something that said the writing sucks. It wasn't something that said, it just told me that it wasn't for them. And we have to learn to accept and celebrate those things. So when we cultivate our reviews, let's tell people how we want them to do it. If you enjoyed it, tell people what you enjoyed about it. If, if there's things about it you didn't like, tell them that too. Be realistic in your review because by doing that, when people read the feedback, then it will help your sales. It will help your perception. It will help tell people who you are. It will help tell people who you're not. It'll help tell people what you've done and what it's not. And one of the biggest things I think that we need to ask of our, of our platforms, um, be it Yelp, be it Amazon, be it Goodreads, is that they really should be looking at who and how reviewers are leaving the reviews. Um, I think that there is definitely going to be a greater and greater push for companies to evaluate the reviewers. So in other words, if you have someone that serially leaves nothing but one-star reviews and they haven't bought the product, maybe those should be weighted differently or maybe they should be flagged as suspect. Same thing is true for, for somebody that leaves nothing but five-star reviews. You know, I think that, the, again, we value those people. We There's a great deal of value to us as writers, as, as creators, and even as fans. But if people are not being realistic in what they leave and how they leave it, if we see people leaving reviews on products that have not reached the market, and they can't possibly have even looked at it yet, I think those are things that, that both the reviewer and those reviews that are left on products need to be evaluated and managed. So looking at all of this, what do we do? What do we take away from it? Well, number one, it's typically something that's really out of our control. 
we can ask people to leave reviews. We can ask people to leave honest reviews and we can tell them what we want from them. But again, I tend to like to cultivate leave honest and real reviews, both the good and the bad. And when we do that, we can get a realistic view that helps those people that may find us online. Appreciate it. And this is something to think about for your marketing is how to look at your reviews, how these things can impact your business, how these things can impact your creativity. And the more real, honest feedback you get, the more we can grow as creators. Until next week, this has been Creating Pros, and I'm your host, Jim Nettles.